Uh, I'd like to welcome you here this morning. Uh, invite, if we have any of our, our children, third grade and under, if they uh, want to head out to their classrooms, the teachers are back there to receive them, and uh, more than happy to, to, to do that. Um, today, we uh, kick off Advent. I hope this past week has been a thankful week for you. Uh, one of the challenges at the end of the service last week was to be sure that this week to be aware of God's presence as you were uh, in your chaos of life, and hopefully that happened for you uh, this week. Uh, Advent, as we kick off this season, is a season of waiting, of expectation. It's a season of preparation. And through this Advent season, what we're going to explore are some various ideas. We're going to explore the idea that, that while we wait, it's actually a time to act. That we are called to, in our lives, live in such a way that we are pointed toward Jesus. Uh, that as we seek Jesus, we will discover that he is more than we ever truly expected in our life. And that Jesus, as our Savior, he's calling us to obedience in him. And he's calling us to be obedient through faith in him. And this is all building toward uh, celebrating his birth, which we celebrate uh, at Christmas time, and the hope that we have because of him. So today, as we begin our Advent season, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. Now, as you turn there, uh, you might be thinking, what does Romans have to do with Advent? Well, uh, here's what I would suggest that we try to focus on as we engage in this scripture here this morning. I would suggest that often in life, we feel like we are waiting. We're waiting for the work day to end. We're waiting for the weekend. We're waiting for our kids to become potty trained. We're waiting for our kids to graduate from school, to land uh, a job. Uh, we, are, we wait in our life to meet that certain someone. We, we wait for the light to turn green, and then we wait for the person to get off their phone and put down things so they'll actually go when the light turns green, right? We wait. We wait for the person to get through the checkout line when they're digging for their cash or their change or their card or their coupons, and you're just like, I, I, you know, you don't want to wait, right? You wait for the preacher man to get done so we can get on to the next thing in our life, right? We wait. We, we, we tend to spend a lot of our time waiting. A lot of you will wait if you go out to eat today for your food to be delivered. You will wait for kickoff to come. You will wait today. So what do you do while you wait? You see, even in this season of Advent, we find ourselves waiting. It's a time to celebrate Jesus as our Messiah, but in reality, as we wait, we don't have to wait and what I, what I mean by that, I mean that every day of our life we have the opportunity, as we will see in our text here this morning, to put on the armor of light and to clothe, our, clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus. And as we will see in the text, we will find that it's telling us that we need to wrestle with that. And we will begin wrestling with what our life will truly look like if we lived our lives as the light of Christ. What does our life look like if we were the light of Christ? In this letter to the church at Rome. Paul covers a lot of ground in those 16 chapters. In chapter 11, Paul addresses the issue of both Jews and Gentiles being saved through faith and their obedience in the Lord. In chapter 12, Paul speaks to the idea of us living our lives as living sacrifices, focusing on the love we have for each other, even calling believers to love their enemies. If you go to the first part of chapter 13, Paul is addressing how all of us are called to submit to those in authority, to obey the laws, and as you do those things, to love your neighbor as yourself, because love, the love of God working in us and working through us, it does no harm. He talks about how love 
is actually the fulfillment of the law, which is why we are called to obey the law and to obey those in authority. And then before he talks about in chapter 14 about how to handle disagreements and calls us to do all things in the Lord, we arrive at our text here today in chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Paul, throughout this this entire letter, he's done an amazing job of drawing up for us or having us envision what this picture of the Christian life really looks like. And it's really going to be valuable for us as we move into this time of Advent, a season of inward reflection and preparation for Christ's arrival. And in this short paragraph that we're going to read in just a moment, Paul speaks to the idea that even now as we are in a time of Advent, a time of waiting, of anticipation for Jesus to be born, waiting for the Messiah, the time to act is now. Look at what he says beginning in verse 11 of chapter 13 in the book of Romans. It says this, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, but not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, there's a lot in those verses, and we're going to unpack it as we walk through it. But I have a question for you as we start. Have you ever received a phone call in the middle of the night or when you are dead asleep at night? Anyone? Phone rang? Yeah, uh, it, it happens on occasion, right? And in the fog of sleep, you realize the phone is ringing. And what are the first two thoughts that go through your brain? Who's calling me, right? And what time is it, right? Who's calling me and what time is it? Do, does the person who's calling me realize that it's 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Do they realize that I was asleep? And, and before you answer the phone, those are the two thoughts that go through your head. I think it's interesting that when the phone rings during the day, we usually ask the first question, but not the second question, right? We usually ask, who's calling me? But we don't typically say, well, what time is it? That's not the thought during the daytime. We, we wonder, who's calling me? And then we look at the caller ID and we decide whether or not we're going to answer it or not, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. We want to know who's calling, but not necessarily what time. Why? Because we're awake, Right? You're alert, most of you are probably alert during the day, right? And and you're kind of aware at what time, and it's not really as important as to what time it is right there. It's daylight, it's not dark. You're alert, you're not asleep. It's interesting that the Advent text that we're looking at this year, they deal with this idea of light and darkness. And they do it during the darkest season of the year. We are slowly moving toward the winter solstice on December 21st, which means that there are more hours of darkness on that day than any other day of the year. Now, I don't know about you, but I was having this conversation uh, over this past week, and I don't know that my body, that my brain, that, that me, that I've adjusted yet to this time change that happened back on November 6th. There are times that I can leave the house, and the sun is trying to burn off the gray clouds, and then I return home, and it's already dark, right? I have, Ian and I share an internal office in this building, which means there's no window, which means if I'm not careful, I can go a whole day or multiple days and never see the light of day, right? Especially when you add in these gray days that are coming, right? 
it can be kind of depressing. It's overcast. In fact, for some people, the short daylight hours lead to what is called seasonal affective disorder. Seasonal affective disorder. And do you know what that stands for? Sad, right? It makes you sad. It's, it's this oppression that comes of, because of the darkness and the absence of light. Paul uses this image of darkness and light, of day and night, to speak to the coming of the Lord. You see, he recognizes that with each passing day, the return of Christ draws closer, and we need to be awake, we need to be alert, we need to be ready to receive him. Paul also uses the day-night and light-dark illustration to contrast different ways of living. Paul uses them to teach us a spiritual lesson about how we are to put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light, to put aside the oppression of the dark and to walk in the freedom of the light, the light of the Lord, which is a great way to look at our journey toward the birth of Christ, to experience the promise that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And as we wait, excuse me, and as we wait, that now is actually the right time to take action. So what does Paul call us to do? Well, we see in the text that Paul calls the readers to understand or know the present time. Now, Paul's not talking about knowing what time it is, like what hour it is right now, like, uh, can't see it, but like 1040, right? He's not calling us to know the exact time of what it is. He's, he's calling us to be aware of what's happening in the world around us and, and to wake up from our slumber, to not just be walking through life in a daze. I think the message version helps us understand what this means when it says these words. It says, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. That's what we're called to do. The idea here is that to be aware that God has not only given us salvation through Jesus Christ, but that we are to seek him in our daily life. And as we seek him, then we are to live accordingly. And what does that daily living, our life for Christ, what does it look like? Well, it involves laying down the deeds of darkness and putting on the armor of light. Often when we focus on the deeds of darkness, what we do is we focus on all those sins and those struggles and the things that that we are against. And oftentimes what happens is we talk about the things that we are to avoid, right? And it becomes a very negative way of looking at things. And and while there is some value at looking at those things that we are to avoid, the things that, that we should identify so that we can identify them in our life and we can seek forgiveness for those things and we can experience God's grace, because it's only because of Christ and his grace that we can receive forgiveness. So we should point out those things. But, but often what happens is when we start talking about the sins and the negative things to put aside, we begin to have this mindset of, of here is what I'm against. Here is what I am anti, right? And, and one of the things that believers in the church have kind of been taking some, some rightful criticism for is often people will look at the church and go, well, I know who or what they are against, but I really don't know who or what they're for. I know who or what they don't love, but I'm not sure who or what they do love. Does that make sense? We can become known as people who are anti instead of what we are for. And, and the, that's a, a struggle that we, have, that, that we have to deal with. It's something that we need to address. 
the reality is each and every one of us have some various sins and some things in our life that we probably should remove from our life. It's kind of like taking out the trash in your home. Uh, if you didn't take out the trash in your home, what would happen? Man, it'd start to stink. It'd overflow, right? It would not be pretty. It would be a mess. And, and one author said that if we don't remove some of the things from our spiritual life, our spiritual lives will begin to stink as well. And I think that's just a, a good way to think about it. We, we need to remove some of those things so that we can have room for what God wants us to have in our life. Here in the, here in the text, Paul encourages to, as the NIV says, behave decently as in the daytime. Behave decently as in the daytime and not participate in the activities that are often associated with the deeds of darkness. Uh, in his commentary on Romans, Leon Morris points out that the list of these six activities are paired together so that they can show how they all stem from self-will. And there's a quote that, uh, if Courtney can throw it up on the screen there, uh, Leon Morris says this. He says, they are all the outreach of a determined selfishness that seeks only one's own pleasure. That's, that's what they are. He says they are the outreach of a determined selfishness. These, these deeds of darkness that Paul mentions here in the text, they stem from our own selfishness and our own pleasure. The first po- pair point toward this loss of self-control due to overindulgence of drink. The middle pair are sexual sins from unrestrained lust. And the last pair to- point toward the attitudes that we have toward other people. The point here is that Paul is addressing not this laundry list of sins or grievances that we need to address, but instead he looks at the overall picture of who we are and how we are called to live our lives. What does it look like to put on the light of Christ, to put on the armor and to put aside the deeds of darkness? The reality is it's a continuation of the thought that Paul shared beginning in verse 8 when he shared these words. If you go up to verse 8 in chapter 13, the text says this. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be. And I'm going to pause right there in the text. Do you think Paul doesn't know the rest of the commandments? I think he's got them, right? But I think he stopped short because that's not the point. He's not making a list that if you check these off, you're good, right? He says, uh, whatever the other commandments may be, right? And his point is what he says next. They're all summed up in this one rule. Just like the people you want to like. And you can be mean to the rest, right? No, love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In addressing the do-nots in verse 9, along with the six activities listed in in verse 13, C.K. Barrett concludes that all these practices constitute a failure in love. You see what Paul is trying to get us to see? That it's not about those things that we don't do. It is putting those aside, but it's about love. He's trying to get us to focus on relationships. He wants us to focus on the way we treat each other, how we interact with each other, how we love each other. His desire for us is to have his presence, the presence of God in our life. And we also need to have the presence of that which is good in our life, not just an absence of that which is bad or evil. 
Christ has not called us to, to live a life that is successful if we simply avoid certain things in our life. Instead, he's called us to live a life to the full, a life marked by love. The Living Bible says it this way in verse 13, be decent and true in everything you do so that all can approve your behavior. What does it look like for us to love our neighbor as ourselves? What does it look like for us to put on the armor of light? The amazing news is that during this season of Advent, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to reveal God to us. That God put on human flesh so that we could know him, so we could see him, so we could experience him and walk with him. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that that not only did he just talk about what that looks like, because he told parables and and he challenged the disciples, but he demonstrated what that looked like as well. He lived his life showing us who God is, revealing to us God's heart, showing us what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it really looks like for us to put on the armor of light. If we look at the scriptures, we find words and actions of Jesus. We see Jesus uh, protesting and dismantling systems of injustice in John chapter 2 as he clears the temple courts. He frees the oppressed in Luke 4 as he drives out the evil spirits and heals many people. He exposes the oppression and the hypocrisy in Luke chapter 6 when he and his disciples, they ate food on the Sabbath. Oh, how could you do such a thing? And when he heals a man on the Sabbath as well. He gives to the poor, Matthew 6. He rebukes the hypocritical religious leaders in Matthew 23. He teaches people to live for a different kingdom in John 18. Welcome and serve people who are in need, Matthew 5 and 25 and Luke 13. To die to self, sacrifice to others, Luke 9 and John 3 and John 12. To love all people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't believe me, just read them. Pray for those who persecute you and do good to those who hate you. Both of those are found in Luke chapter 6. And that's just what you could find in like 30 seconds, right? Jesus came to reveal to us what it looks like to put on the armor of light, to love our neighbor as ourself, so that we could experience God in a very real way. That's why he came. Not only for salvation and forgiveness, but so that we could know him, so that we could put on the armor of light and we could walk with him. And here's the beautiful news. And here's the part that I I don't know that we focus on enough is that if we focus on these things, what things? These things. The things on the screen. If you, if you look at those things, if you're focused on dismantling injustice and giving to the poor and living for God's kingdom and welcoming people who are in need and praying for those who persecute you and doing good to those, even those who hate you, the deeds of darkness, those things that we are to put aside, they're going to be put aside. And you know why? Because instead of thinking about how to gratify this sinful nature, we're going to be focused on striving to love our neighbor. We're going to be focused on serving and giving and loving. We're not going to have time for all that other stuff. And in this we find that we will clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture that's painted for us here in the text. The reality is there can be a great gap between who we are as forgiven, chosen people, believers in Christ. Between that and how we actually live our daily life. We have to respond to God's grace each and every day of our life and allow Christ to live in us and through us. And Paul is encouraging us to make Jesus, to make Christ the focal point of everything we do, like a suit of clothes we wear at all times. Many writers make the correlation between this suit of clothes which we are to wear and our baptism, like we witnessed this morning. 
to remind us that we are clothed in Jesus. And through baptism, we experience his gift of forgiveness each and every day of our life. It's a, it's a constant reminder of what Christ has done for us through his grace and his forgiveness. And it encourages us to be aware of his presence each and every day of our life. And thus allowing Christ to live in us and through us. The ancient Jews frequently used this phrase. They called it putting on the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory, which in Hebrew means God-manifested glory or God's presence. Shekinah, that, that all-enveloping. The, the idea is that we are to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means we assume his interest. We enter into his views. We imitate him, and we are wholly on his side. According to Adam Clark, to put on the clothes of Jesus means that we copy his example We act and endeavor to as closely as possible imitate him in spirit, words, and actions. And as a believer, that is what we are called to strive to do. To imitate the way Jesus lived. To imitate the way he interacted with other people. To not simply seek to avoid the wrong, but to engage in the things that give life and give meaning and give purpose. Last week, while I was working on this message, uh, my wife Michelle asked me, uh, so what's the text for the week, right? And so I told her, and she you know, went away, and she read it, and then she came back, and I said, so, so what does that mean to you? You know, you just read it first time. I've been, you know, knee-deep in it for a while. What jumps out at you? And what she shared was that how Paul was encouraging us to be intentional about every day, to not take the day for granted and not to strive to just get by, but to make the most of it, not to sleep through the day, but to be awake to what God is doing. I don't know if she knew I was taking notes but I was. And I would suggest that that's so very true and accurate. To make the most of every day. And some of those days, you're going to have a day of rest. And if it's a day of rest, then rest. And rest well. If it's a time of work, then work and work well. If it's a time to be with family, then be with family. If it's a time to study, then study. If it's a time to whatever, then do that and do it well. But in all things, regardless of what we are doing, be aware of God's presence and closely imitate him as as much as we possibly can in spirit and words and actions and allowing his light to shine through us. As Paul said, be awake, put on the armor of light, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we can act, the reason we can put on the armor of light and to be clothed with Christ and be clothed in Christ is because of his love for us, his willingness to live his life as a light for all people so that we could see God. His willingness to do whatever it took to restore that relationship and to give his life so that people could see God and to see God's great love for them. So he demonstrated that when he gave of himself. And it is his love that we focus on each week when we participate in communion. It's something that that we focus on. Uh, Across the front of the auditorium, you'll see four different stations. And they're basically the same. It's it's communion. They contain bread, which represents Jesus' body, and juice, which represents his blood for us. And this morning, we're going to invite you, as Michael uh, sings and leads this song, that when you're ready to make your way to the front to partake of the juice and the bread to take them and if you want to go to the cross if you want to go back to your seat to the back to the front wherever you need to go to worship the lord as we celebrate and remember what he has done for us we're going to invite you to do that and as we participate in communion 
And as we celebrate what he's done for us, his life and his death and his life again, we remember the hope that we have because of what he's done for us. And as we do that this morning, there's one additional thing we'd like for you to do. There's a bowl on the back of, of each of these tables. We're going to invite you to, uh, to grab one of the little plastic pieces that's in there. And, and what you'll find is a, a plastic tab on the bottom of this plastic ball, right? And after you've taken of communion, um, when you're ready, we're going to invite you to simply pull that tab. And, and what it's going to do is it's just a, a little light. And it's to symbolize how as we put on Christ, we allow his light to shine in our life. We're trying to give you something that you could take with you, something that you could remember, something that maybe would make you think this week about what it means to put on the light, the armor of light of Jesus Christ in your life. And so we're going to invite you to do that this morning, to come and partake of communion, to take of the light, and then to allow the light to shine near you symbolically shining through you as we allow Christ to be our focus, to be the one thing that is above all other things. And we live our life for him. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you when you're ready to make your way to the tables, to participate in celebrating what Jesus has done for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to celebrate you, to remember you, to focus on you. And Father, in this season, help us to be aware of your light. Help us to be living our lives in such a way that you shine through us, that we reflect you in all that we say and do. Thank you, Father. We love you, and we are so thankful for your love for us. It's in your son's name we pray.